Welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. The Unstoppable Freedom Alliance is part of a growing movement across America that's fighting for freedom and the values and ideals that this country was founded on. And I'm super excited about our guest today, and you're going to be inspired by his story. His name is Joe Kennedy, but he's better known as Coach. Joe is an 18-year Marine veteran, a former high school football coach, coached a couple other sports as well, and a man of God with deep conviction and moral courage. Joe, welcome to Unstoppable Freedom. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, thanks, Jimmy. I really appreciate it. You bet. And we also have a special guest uh, from First Liberty. First Liberty Institute is, uh, is a legal organization that is uh, defending religious freedom in particular around the country and around the world and argues some of the most high-profile cases in that area. We've got Jeremy with us, uh, one of their key attorneys, and he'll be joining us for part of our conversation as well. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, thanks for having me, Jimmy. You bet, you bet. So, you know, we've talked a little bit. Uh, so I have a quick question for you, Joe, uh, as we get started. I ask all of our guests one question, and I'd love to get your input on this. Here it is, very simple. What do you love most about America and why? That's really simple, the freedom. I've been around the world so many times and I've seen every culture that's on this globe. And the freedom here is just incredible. And to see the way that the rest of the world is, we've become so spoiled. It's, it's just amazing. This is all about freedom. That's awesome. Well, that's about as succinct as you can get on that answer. And, and I think it's profound, right? The fact that you've been in other countries, the fact that you have experienced other cultures, and by the way, great cultures, great people all around the world oh, in every country. Uh, that's one of the things that, you, that I found in traveling in other countries is that the people there are wonderful, uh, amazing. It's usually the leadership, and, and that's an interesting question, but uh, usually the leadership kind of uh, confuses things for some, but uh, the good news is in America, we're still free. And today we're going to talk specifically about religious freedom in America and why it matters. And Joe, you know, we've talked at length and you know, I've been involved in sports ministry in particular with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes now for, for over 30 years. It's actually the, the ministry where I gave my life to Christ and came to faith uh, back in the 1990s. Wow, it's been a long time. Uh, but I've also been on staff with them for many, many years. Yeah, right. Don't start in on me, coach. I think you're, you might be a little older than me. <laughs> uh, but as you know, this, this topic is very personal to me in particular. Uh, but before we get to what has transpired with your coaching career, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up. What, was, what were the early years like? Yeah, I wish I could paint a great picture of it that, you know, is uh, unicorns and butterflies and rainbows and whatnot, but it wasn't. I, I was a terrible kid. I, I can honestly admit that. I was one of those kids I wouldn't want my kids to be around. I was always in trouble. I was getting kicked out of just about every school in, in Kidsap County and the surrounding areas. And I, I mean, I was on the wrong path uh, growing up. It, it was rough. Now, were you, uh, were you raised uh, by both parents, or what was that situation like? So it really was, uh, I was adopted at birth, and uh, mm. I, I lived with that family for years, and it seemed like there was always something there, but I was a happy kid. And about age seven, they told uh, my sister, my older sister and I, that we were both adopted, and it kind of made sense. And from there, I just became this angry little kid, and... I was in and out of group homes and foster homes. I was at boys' home. Um, sometimes I was completely homeless. So at, it, I've been everywhere and seen a lot of things. You told me uh, in our earlier conversations that you were a scrapper of sorts, that you, that you didn't back down from almost any fight. Is that true? It's absolutely true. And it's so funny to get around some of the people that um, – uh, some of my counselors or some of my foster families and that's the number one thing they said you know I was a high school wrestler I went into boxing I, I did uh, martial arts for years so my whole life it seems like I, I've just been combat oriented and it really started out having to protect myself and then learning how to do that Wow, so you were a fighter for sure and I mean you picked you picked the right sports right and I would have put money on it that you were a wrestler 
I would have put money on it. And then when you mentioned uh, MMA, of course, I'm a huge MMA fan. The UFC, I love, I love that uh, because it's, it matches people of different disciplines, right? Different fighting styles to see who's the best. Oh, absolutely. And it comes down to one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, look at this face and this nose. I, <laughs> I, I've been boxing and uh, MMA and all my joints are busted. I got eight plates and 16 screws in my head. So yeah, it really comes down to that one-on-one -on -one battle between and, you, know, you and your opponent and also the battle of yourself, mm -hmm. the, the mental discipline it takes to actually keep fighting. It's amazing. You know, uh, I think that discipline of, of a sport like wrestling, the discipline that it takes to be a boxer where where your physicality is at risk. Right. I mean, you're not trying to score a touchdown. Instead, you're trying to protect yourself and defeat the other person through through combat. You know that you, you must have learned a lot in that process of participating in sports like that. Right, it really set the foundation for who I am today. I wouldn't change, even though things were really bad when I was a kid, I wouldn't change a single thing. All the, the fighting and all the rebelliousness and everything I, and the anger that I went through, being able to just curb all of that and just be free from that today, I can't understand what those kids are going through. All my football players, they, they haven't been through anything um, that I either you know have witnessed or have gone through so it really set the foundation that i could relate to just about anybody on any grounds so you know that in some ways that's a huge advantage right we don't like to look oftentimes at adversity as something that refines us or or um, shapes us in a way that is beneficial down the road right sometimes we try to avoid adversity but one of the things I've learned through sports in particular is to try and use adversity to your advantage and that when you look at adversity through a different lens, you know, not through a lens uh, to be avoided, but instead as an opportunity to become your best, it really does change you, right? Did that have an impact in, in your growing up as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I take a look back and ever since I think the first time I was suspended was probably in kindergarten and I won't go into the specifics about that, you know, all the times that I've been in fights. Listen, but Joe, it, I mean, wait, 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 real, real quick, real quick. Yeah. No one gets suspended in kindergarten. Okay. I'm uh, just telling you. I will you. prove you wrong. I will. <laughs> Don't put any money on that one, buddy. <laughs> Jeremy, yeah. he, he, you, he might have needed your representation all the way back then. I'm just telling you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, look what I'm getting fired for. Voice. That's the funny thing is I got fired for praying, not anything I've done the rest of my life. It's, it's, a it's crazy. It's a pretty impressive transformation, right? And so you've had this, this childhood, which was difficult uh, to say the least. You were a scrapper. You were fighting for everything. You were involved in fights. Um, tell me a little bit about the decision to enter the Marine Corps, because that's a big deal. And by the way, thank you for serving in that way. An 18 year career in the Marine Corps is amazing. And we really want to celebrate that as well. But tell us about that decision to enter the Marine Corps. Why, why did you do that? Uh, it really started probably when I was a kid. I watched all the, you know, John Wayne movies and I saw, you know, what, what real men were like. And I just, it was, it always appealed to me. And when everybody told me that I was going to be nothing and I would, you know, end up in jail and they said I contribute nothing to society and I was basically worthless. That's what really drove it home. I had an uncle that was just a huge, prominent person. Uh, he lived in another state, but he was just this big, booming guy. And when he told all the kids to be quiet, sit down, oh, I'm telling you, he stopped the whole entire house. I admired him for that. And so joining the Marine Corps was just, it just made absolute sense since, you know, on a, on a couple different levels. As a, you know, Marine, you're the toughest fighting force in the world. So that really, you know, appealed to me. But I also knew that I needed a lot of discipline, a whole lot of discipline, um, you know, self-confidence. I wanted to really prove to myself, I, you know, also prove to other people, but really prove to myself what was I made of and was I worthy mm -hmm. and can I hack it? So it came down to that. It's amazing. So, and at that time, it's funny, you, you, you mentioned a couple of things here I want to touch back on. You said that people said certain things to you that may have had a, uh, an impact on you. You said that, that somebody said to you, you would never amount to anything. You would never accomplish anything. 
Do you, when was that? What were those circumstances? It, uh, the first time I really remember it uh, was in fourth grade. I was at a Catholic school and, you know, the nuns, they used to whack your hands and, you know, back in the day. And, you know, that was just laughable. It was like, okay, go ahead and hit my hand with the ruler. <laughs> that, that didn't faze me at all. But then they started talking to me. And, you know, when I got finally expelled from that school, they, you know, the, the mother that ran the school or, you know, the school, she she said, I pray for your soul because you provide nothing to society and you need to find what you can do to change yourself. It's amazing. You know, it's amazing to think of the words. You know, we always talk about speaking words of life over people, you know, that your words have the power of life and death in them. So when you're hearing these things, you know, I think what's interesting, though, knowing a bit about you, that you're a wrestler, that you, you're a scrapper, you're a boxer, you know, you're, you're, you have a toughness to you. You really used those words as a motivator, didn't you? As something that said, hey, I'm, not, I'm gonna prove them wrong. Is that true? That is 100% truth. I really, I, I was not gonna let the, you know, what everybody else said about me or my past define who I am. I remember my parents telling me the worst thing we ever did was adopting you. And, you know, those things really lay into your heart and, you know, you become really angry. But I turned my anger into a motivation to prove that I would be able to stand up on my own two feet. I'd be able to become something, be, especially with the Marines, being something more than myself. And I absolutely proved that. And it, it's all because of my past mm -hmm. and everything I went through. What are some of the things? It's pretty remarkable. I mean, it really is remarkable. I'm listening to, the, to your story. I can remember certain things that people said when I was a kid that had stayed with me for a period of time. You know, we talk about we all have this kind of a, a voice going on in our heads um, from previous things that have been said. And that's why it's really important to take those thoughts captive and, and to change those, right? Use them as a motivator. How much of that, when you got to the Marine Corps, uh, was there a sense of pride in that was there a sense of accomplishment that no you were actually making something of your life oh i you know there's no way to really define how it was in boot camp when i got there i was this really cocky kid and they, they had to break me down and they really did that but being able to build myself back up through all of those adversities just knowing that you can become something and you really see it you see yourself becoming part of a team and then when you graduate, everybody feels like they're, you know, six feet tall and bulletproof and you're part of something and it's going to be lasting through history. And you have brothers and sisters that you get to serve with who watch your back 24-7. It's just a big family environment, which was just so appealing to me. It's amazing. And I heard that, uh, so you had this long career and there were, there were points in there, of course, that you decided to stay in. And, and, uh, but you were married at a young age. Is that right? When did you meet your wife, your eventual <laughs> wife? Interesting. I, I met my wife when we were nine years old. Uh, my brother came home from school. We didn't attend the same school because I was kicked out of the school. And he said that, hey, there's this new girl that lives down the street and she's really beautiful. So, of course, I had to go and see who this was. And I walked right down the driveway, walked right up to the front door, and she was sitting on the front porch. And she looks up at me and, you know, it's one of those moments that is only in TV, but you know, she brushes the hair out of her eyes and she looks at me and she goes, can I help you? And my jaw just drops. I, first time in my life I was ever speechless. And I said, yes, I'm going to marry you. And she looked at me like I was crazy. She goes, you're, you're creepy. I'm going in the house. And from that moment on, me and my brother, we, we were fighting over that. That was the first fist fight I ever got with my brother over who was going to marry her. And then 31 years later, yeah, I won the first fight and I won this one. Not bad. Not bad. That's a pretty good track record. I'm proud of you for that. It's a good thing you were tough. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, tell us a little bit about your faith walk. Uh, you know, obviously growing up in the circumstances you did, you, you, uh, were any of your coaches influential? Were, were there any people along the way that were influential in your life that helped you, that helped introduce you to a life of faith? Uh, interesting that it, it really started down the road from people who were negative impacts. I had a lot of coaches and a lot of teachers and people, counselors and whatnot that 
really, you know, told me that I wasn't worth the effort and never, you know, sowed seeds into me until I went to the boys' home and I had some counselors there and I had all this anger and all this energy and they said, hey, you need to try out for, you know, wrestling. So I, I one of the counselors that was there, he never gave up on me. He prayed for me daily and he really challenged me. So when I was just a young teenager, I, I kind of tried it on the Christianity thing. And it's unfortunate that if you're not completely surrounded with that, because when I was at the boys' home, we had devotions. We had that time to uh, pray and had people just sowing good things into your life. So the high school uh, wrestling coach, he was not only my coach, but he was also one of my counselors at the, in, at the boys' home and kind of set those seeds. And I let them grow for just a little bit. I, it was like I put it on like a suit and while I was there, it was great. I fully embraced it. But as soon as I left, I went right back to the same old things. And I spent almost a lifetime, you know, 20 years of, you know, the military just living as a heathen. And then finally, just one day, my wife actually invited me to church. And I finally gave in because I knew I couldn't do life on my own anymore and I completely surrendered to him. Wow. And and it's interesting because coaches are a really important voice in most people's lives. If you if you've been a competitor at any time and you've participated in sports with coaching, you know, you can have a coach that invests in you in a way that brings out the absolute best of you and does it in a way that uh, that values you as a person and really has an eye to your future. But you can also have coaches that that are really tough on you and maybe have, um, you know, different approaches to that. But what I'm most struck by is that you use those circumstances through good and bad coaches along the way to become the person that you are. Yeah, and it wasn't just in sports. It was also during my career, Uh, you know, in the military over 20 years. You have a lot of really, really good bosses, but you also have adversity and find some bosses that you never want to be like. And I think I learned probably more from the negative than I did the positive because mm-hmm. the positive is easy, but knowing where those negative things are and and not repeating that cycle, that's where I learned the most and was able to apply it in my life and also as a coach. That's amazing. You know, tell us, or so let's pivot a little bit. Let's change gears from the early days, from the Marine Corps, from your uh, early days of marriage. Uh, what, what made you want to be a coach? When did this idea that you could be a coach, when did that become a reality to you? Why was that attractive? Well, I, when I was in the Marines, I was always teaching somebody. I was a martial arts instructor and I was a swim instructor. I did everything. So I was always teaching someone something. And then when you lose that, I was kind of lost trying to find myself. And I coached, you know, during wrestling seasons, especially when I was on recruiting duty, I went to all the high schools and I would go out there and do the strength and conditioning and also do workouts with, you know, all the different teams. So I had that background, but the actual thought of coaching, I, I never really put my finger on that until one day I was out on a run and a man approached me on in his car and kind of pulled me over in the in the parking lot and said, "Hey, I noticed you're out there running in uh, wrestling shoes." And also, I was wearing a Bremerton football shirt. And he started asking me a bunch of questions. And I said I was too little to to play football, but I was a wrestler. And he said, "Well, I'm the athletic director. I was wondering if you ever thought about coaching." And it just at the time, it was like, no, I have never thought about being a coach. What am I qualified for? And it wasn't until I watched Facing the Giants and, you know, I got to back up. So they asked me to be a coach. I, I finally applied and uh, they offered me the job on a Friday. And I said, well, give me the weekend to think about it because coaching is such a, it's a huge commitment. It's going to take away from your family and it's definitely going to take over your life if you do it right. And I said, just give me the weekend to think about it, pray about it, and talk to my wife about it. And Facing the Giants came on during the weekend, and it was like a ton of bricks just hit me. It was like a gut punch. I fell to my knees. And 
you can't get any more of a clear sign from God. A lot of times things are, are you know, they say it's mysterious or it works in uh, mysterious ways and he doesn't always answer. He answered and he put me on my knees. And from that moment on, I said, okay. I will give you the glory, win or lose. I kind of, you know, stole that from the movie, but win or lose, I'm going to give you the glory. Mm -hmm. So you began your coaching career coaching a sport that you had never played and never coached. Is that right? <laughs> that is absolutely. Well, I actually played uh, one year for the Marine Corps when I was in Hawaii, but that was that was like you put on pads and try to destroy the other person. So I, it wasn't like I learned any real X's and O's, but I had absolutely no experience in in at, uh, coaching football. Mm -hmm. Yeah. X's and O's, I don't know who is what. I just know you want to hit the guy across from me as hard as you can. So, yeah, I was hugely underqualified as far as the technical stuff of coaching went. But I think what, what inspired you to, to start coaching was the impact that you could have, right, on these young men and, and young women that you could actually invest in them in such a way, coach in such a way that brought the absolute best out of them not only for the sport that they were playing, but for, for who they would become as human beings. Is that what motivated you? That was the biggest number one thing that I said. I, I met with the head coach and he said, why am I hiring you again? And I said, because I could build a team. I could build leaders. I could get the most out of these young men and teach them to be better young men. And also I could teach the coaches and help the coaches become better. I had a wealth mm. of experience in that but that was the number one reason in what our school at Bremerton High School was missing. We had all the talent in the world as far as the X's and O's. We had guys from college. We had uh, professional football players play for the Denver Broncos in a Super Bowl. We had a wealth of experience in coaching. But the one thing that they were missing was the character and the team building aspects mm -hmm. of it. And that's where I just fit right in. Yeah, I believe that. I, you know, having worked in sports ministry for so many years, we know the value of the coach. You know, the voice of the coach is a big voice uh, because you really are building the character qualities. One of the things I love about sport is that it mirrors real life, right? It creates these circumstances and these opportunities to fight, um, to overcome challenges, to face fears. Uh, and to really become the type of person that you want to be. But it really does have an opportunity to shape character, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And they don't, that's the part they do not realize. And working with my team, I, I had lots of kids. And, you know, over eight years is quite a bit of time. I had, you know, families that had their son, their middle son, and their youngest son all going through the football program. So I, I got to build mm. a lot with it, with, especially with the parents in our community. And that was mm. the great thing about it is that if, if you get the thumbs up from mom, you could basically do anything with those kids. And it was just amazing. They would come to me, mom would say, hey, you know that uh, Pete, he decided not to do his homework. He got mouthy with me, told me to shut up. And I was like, oh, really? So at football games, I would stop, <laughs> I would take a timeout right in the middle of a football game and the kid would have to go to the sidelines and he would do jumping jacks or push-ups and say, I'm sorry, mom, I love you, mom. So everything was a learning <laughs> moment. <laughs> I, I really and chose every the, moment yeah. for it. And You're that's, every the kind kid's of character, worst that's the kind of character education that coach brought to the, to the, to the team. I mean, it was stuff they learned in the Marine Corps. Uh, I remember yes. Coach, you telling me about how you would, uh, you know, see the kids not picking up after themselves and organizing kids to, you know, put the pads away and put the equipment back on the rack and that sort of thing. That was the stuff that the, the building a team requires, and that's what Coach brought into the mix of, of things here. So his efforts at, at building character are doing the simple things that mom always tells you about, you know, make your bed, be nice, be respectful, uh, don't mm -hmm. mouth off to your coaches. And if you do, you're going to run laps. That's the type of character instruction that Coach Kennedy was, was bringing to the mix of things. He was teaching them how to be a team, just like he had taught his Marines how to be a team as well. That's amazing. I mean, that inspired, like I, I actually got chills that it inspires me because I know that by, that investment pays off long beyond the field, right? I mean, the locker room and, and the interactions you have with them on the field, that's the type of stuff that lives on. That's the, the stuff of legacy, right, that lives on in these players. 
Um, I, you know, every time you'll hear, it, there's legendary examples of this. Clemson University will play at, let's say, Syracuse, and they'll leave the locker room in better condition than when they got there. I mean, in better condition. And even if they lost, which is unusual for Clemson to lose, but they lost in Syracuse, and the, as legend has it, they left that locker room in better condition. Coach, you sound like a Dabo Sweeney type of coach, you know, a guy that really cares about the behind the scenes stuff that nobody else would ever see or know about. And it took a lot of, of you know, pressure off the other coaches. They could focus on the X's and O's. They didn't have to worry about Johnny doing his homework or what kind of trouble he got into or his girlfriend problems. Um, just about anything under the sun. It, it was just that moment where they could just shift everything that they didn't want to deal with to something that I could absolutely deal with and really help these kids out. That's awesome. Well, let's shift gears. Let's bring let's bring us up to um, to today, right? We've we had some circumstances. You were coaching at, at uh, Bremerton High School, is that right? That is correct. Okay, and obviously you made a commitment early on in your coaching career. Tell us a little bit about that commitment and how that began to play out. And then I'm gonna bring in Jeremy just to talk about the specifics of where we are today. Right, um, you know, it, it started out just really um, after my wife uh, started taking me to, to church and you know, I gave myself knowing I couldn't do this on my own. And it really softened my heart from what I was in the Marine Corps. And the things that I actually went through, just the, my personal development with my wife, and it was insta-family. I took on three other kids from her previous marriage. So everything that I learned throughout life really stepped me up to, to actually being a coach. And that facing the Giants, I, I tell you, there, there's nothing else in the world that you know, hit me as hard as that did. And it was like my calling. This is what I was called to do. Most people wonder if they made a difference in life, but it really, really is something that I wanted to serve God and I wanted to serve my community as much as I possibly could. I wanted to give back, especially for all the pain and the suffering that I put other people through growing up, kind of doing like penance. Mm. It's, it's, I will never be able to make up for it, but I will sure as heck try and try to be a good example for these young men, for the parents, my community, and hopefully one day before God. Yeah, it's one of the one. It's one of the things I love about faith, right? Uh, you know, faith in Christ. You, you don't have to earn God's favor. Uh, he paid the price for us. You know, we've received that forgiveness of sins. We have eternal life. But, but once we come to faith in Christ and we receive that free gift of eternal life, then we're, we have a different motivation. You know, we're motivated to live in a different way, to have a positive impact on others, and to glorify God in the process. And when you, when you began your coaching career, when you went on the field, there, you had a custom of sorts that you engaged in to really to honor God in that process, didn't you? Yes, I did. And it, just like in the movie, you know, um, giving God the glory and win or lose. So after each game, it was, you know, it, it's a tradition of where the two teams, they cross and they say, good game, good game. They shake hands or high five. And a lot of times that was not the case. And there were other words that were spoken to each other, especially if uh, one team won or lost by 60 points. There's a lot of animosity there. It started out just me giving thanks to God on the 50-yard line. I was approached by some of the uh, other players uh, from my team and said, Coach, what are you doing out there? And I said, I was just thanking God for what you guys did. And there were some kids that asked if they could go out. The school was very explicit in what the rules were. You cannot encourage nor discourage kids in prayer. Well, I sure as heck wasn't going to invite them, and I sure as heck wasn't going to tell them, no, it, it, it's a free country. And that's what I told them, it's a free country. So it kind of started that way and it went through just years and more and more kids joined in, into it and they started inviting the other teams. So it became a big thing until the Bremen School District got a, they actually got a, um, a compliment from one of the 
uh, athletic directors or one of the other administrators from another school and they called the principal and said, hey, what your football program is doing is just awesome. So it started an investigation and kind of led up to the point where they said, you know, uh, they kept moving the goalpost on me saying, you could pray even while you're on duty as long as it doesn't affect your coaching duties. Well, it never did. I never left the field of battle. And then they said, well, we don't want you praying with the kids. Unfortunate, but hey, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. So I accommodated that and I waited until every one of my team was off to the side doing uh, the fight song. And then I took a knee and that's when they said, but we could still see you praying there. You have to stop that. Mm -hmm. And that was my line in the sand. I was not going to give up my faith, my constitutional rights. And I just continued knowing that I could ultimately lose my job by just giving a simple prayer by myself on the 50-yard line. Mm. Well, let, I think this might be a good opportunity to bring Jeremy in and, and really to, to talk about those early days because um, obviously you were fired uh, and there's circumstances surrounding that. Jeremy, why don't you bring us, give us some of the background of those early days uh, because this hasn't been a short journey. This is a multiple year journey. And uh, tell us a little bit about those early days and what happened. Yeah, thanks. And it's important to remember what Coach's commitment was, right? He saw the guy in facing the Giants take a knee at center field or at the 50-yard line and, and issue a, a real quick private prayer. That's the commitment that Coach made early on, and that's what he did. Whether it was home or away, he would go to the 50-yard line, take a knee, 15, maybe 30 seconds, and have this private uh, brief prayer right there on the field. And it wasn't a problem for years until, like he said, they got complimented about it. And uh, look, he, he had to correct a few things, and that's perfectly understandable. He did that, and every chance he got, he tried to do what the school district asked him to do. But when they kept on moving the goalposts and said, you're either going to stop or you're going to have to go all the way across the field, you know, 100 yards downfield, across the track, up the three flights of stairs, across the practice field, into the school building, down the hallway, and quite literally into the janitor's office room, that's where you can actually pray. Or if you want, we'll give you another option. You can leave the stadium, again, go down the field, up the stairs, outside of the stadium, down the sidewalk, and climb up the ladder to crawl into the, on the catwalk into the press box. You can do the prayer there as well. Well, that, you know, there's a lot of things that's wrong with that, and here's what. Number one, uh, he shouldn't have to do that. There's nothing under the law that says you have to hide your faith from public view. Number two, to suggest to, that, that he had to hide his prayers from the student's view is to suggest that prayer is wrong and it has to be hidden. And, 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 and that actually sends a message of hostility towards religion that the First Amendment for our entire history as a country has just found to be abhorrent. And so uh, that was it. Uh, he was suspended when he did it. Uh, he, he took a knee in silent prayer one last game. The next Monday, he got a memo from the school district saying that he had been placed on immediate suspension. And then wow. he, was, uh, he was fired from his job. And so that's when the case took off. We filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. That turned into a lawsuit. We appealed to the Ninth Circuit. They affirmed. Uh, we appealed to the Supreme Court of the United States. The Supreme Court said we need a little bit more information. We went back down to the district court, got the information, still lost there, went back to the Ninth Circuit. And that Ninth Circuit opinion is, is really sh is shocking because mm. it says that if Coach Kennedy or any public teacher or coach, if they can be seen engaged in religious activity while on the job, then that's grounds for termination. Uh, and on top of it all, you know, after the legal analysis is all done, uh, Judge Smith throws in there at the end that, of course, Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount that you should go into your closet and pray. So, I mean, not only was Coach violating the law in his eyes, he was actually a bad Christian on top of all of that. So wow. we've now appealed to the Supreme Court of the United States. The court has taken that case, and we hope in a few short weeks uh, we're going to be hearing, or the court will be hearing his case in Washington, D.C. at the Supreme Court of the United States to put him back on the sidelines. You know, it's it's troubling to hear what you just described, actually, because I've been a coach. I've, you know, coached for over 25 years in one capacity or another, and I always, quote unquote, brought my faith to the field. You know, I, I, I didn't leave any part of me out of my experience as a coach. Uh, help us understand the First Amendment, right? Because this is really the interpretation of the First Amendment and the application of that to public life is what's at stake, right? 
because what they're saying is you can do whatever you want behind closed doors when you're you know in the janitor's closet but you're not allowed to bring your faith to the rest of your public life help us understand why that is so egregious well look and again this is why it's so important to remember the commitment that coach made which was to go to the center of the field take a knee for 15 or maybe 30 seconds in private prayer that's what he was fired for that's important because uh, what other situations are like that? The school district says that if he can be seen engaged in, quote, demonstrable religious activity, if he can be seen engaged in prayer by students, then that's a violation of the Establishment Clause and he needs to be fired. Okay, well, what else looks like that? Well, if a teacher says a prayer and gives thanks for her food in the cafeteria, students can see her doing that. Is she going to be terminated from her job? Well, under the, this decision, that would be legitimate. Uh, if a teacher wears a crucifix around her neck in the classroom, that's a demonstration of religion that students can clearly see. That may qualify that teacher for, for uh, uh, termination. Uh, what about if he wears a yarmulke or a hijab or other religious clothing while on the job? Is that sufficient uh, external uh, appearances of religion that students can see that they would uh, require them to be terminated from their job? It can go on and on to the point of ludicrousness where a, a student sneezes in the hallway and the teacher says, God bless you. Well, that's a, that's a demonstration of religion right there in the public school hallway. Uh, that teacher ought to be probably terminated. Uh, that's not what the law is or should be. The, the law very clearly says that if you are a person of faith, you're allowed to be a person of faith. Uh, and if the promise of the case from the 1960s, which is Tinker versus Des Moines, it famously said that neither students nor teachers shed their constitutional rights when they walk through the schoolhouse gates. If that's going to be the promise of the First Amendment, and I believe, by the way, it is and ought to remain so, uh, then that ought to apply when you walk down those steps across the track and onto the sidelines of Bremerton High School in Bremerton, Washington. Uh, it does for Coach Kennedy. We believe that the Supreme Court is going to return him to the sidelines and uphold that very important principle that no one should be fired from their job just because they can be seen engaged in religious activity. It that was feels good. clear to me. You know, and it, yeah. <laughs> hey, I think case closed. I think, I think we're done because... You know, for me, when I read the First Amendment and I read that the government can't establish religion, a national religion, and we know why, when you look at context, it was important, and it can't infringe upon the free exercise of your faith. This feels like, you know, it's funny, at first glance, you might look, well, coach terminated for praying on the field, um, you know, in a public way, which was private, actually. Uh, it feels like, oh, okay, that's a small issue. It's not small at all. The way, in fact, the way you framed it up, it, it affects every single one of us. If you're a person of faith, if you have a public expression of that, uh, if you go about in your day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, as a person of faith, that could be affected by the decision in this case. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Look, and let's remember what was going on here. Uh, Coach Kennedy would go to the 50-yard line and take a knee. Now, that's the posture that he found himself in. He, he conducted himself for the same amount of time, in the same posture, uh, and basically doing the same uh, amount of noise, if you will, uh, that would have been if he had been tying his shoe or mm -hmm. looking for a contact lens. But because they could see it and they would say, well, we know what you're doing, well, the school district says that that's an establishment of religion. It's as if some cathedral suddenly popped up at center field or at the, at the center of the, of the field there and, and, and you know, forced everybody to engage in some sort of religion. Well, that's preposterous. What Coach Kennedy was doing was a private act by himself of a recognition of his own beliefs and faith. Uh, it was simply 15, maybe 30 seconds of private prayer that I would wager to guess would be hard to be heard even at the 48-yard line. Uh, from where he was where he was kneeling and, and that's why he was fired so you can dress up everything else the other side will talk about all these crazy scenarios that just simply aren't true mm -hmm. coach kennedy was suspended then terminated for taking a knee for 15 or 30 seconds of private prayer and, and hey, you think about Jimmy, how much yeah go ahead i, I was going to say uh, i mean it, it came to the point imagine if uh, we threw an interception and i looked up Am I talking to God? Or, oh, heaven forbid, we throw a Hail Mary pass? It's, it, it gets really yeah, weird I, at that point. 
Yeah, and look, I, this is a really true scenario that a, a, a football, I don't know if you guys have figured this out from looking at coach's <laughs> face, but it can be a really dangerous sport. You can get hurt <laughs> in, in football, and students often do. And, and I mean, we just saw recently in the Super Bowl with uh, Joe Burrow going down with a, a hurt knee and, and Odell Beckham going out of the game. I mean, look, people get hurt when you play football. Well, what happens if that coach, while the quarterback is lying on the ground writhing in pain, uh, if he bows his head in silent prayer and can be seen doing so, is that head coach going to be ejected and then suspended and terminated from, from the school's employment? Well, under this standard, that would have to be the case. And that's what makes this so egregious, so ridiculous, actually. It's, not, it's utter nonsense because if you've ever watched football, which we all have and, and literally hundreds of millions of people have around the world, when, an, when a player suffers a serious injury on the field, it is not uncommon for players to grab hands, to bow heads, to circle, to put their hands on each other, to come together as a team, um, offering up their own private, uh, silent individual prayers, I'm, I would imagine. But they've had that freedom to do so for as long as we've been a nation. And so I think what, what bothers me most about this is the game could change significant life could change significantly around this decision couldn't it yeah look it's it's those students by the way just take it from a first amendment attorney they're entitled to do that and if anybody has questioned give me a call i'd love to represent them in that case uh without question on all that but yes. you know it, it actually gets worse and i said this a moment ago but it bears repeating that if, if coach is going to have to hide his faith in one manner or another, whether that's in the janitor's closet or the press box, if he's going to have to run off the field as if it's some sort of plague that's going to affect the entire stands there, if he engages in religious activity for 15 seconds by himself, uh, that's a level of hostility towards religion that is something we rejected centuries ago in this country. And to have it rear his ugly head right now and say that Coach Kennedy is engaged in something that is both un-American and, uh, and awful, uh, it, that, that is just simply uh, contrary to our entire history and who we are as a country here. Uh, the quite opposite is true, by the way, that uh, we ought to welcome religion into the public square, not drive it off as, it is, as if it's some sort of horrible plague to be, uh, to be hidden from view. That message to the students is actually worse than any message that Bremerton wrongfully thought what he was sending with a knee on a knee in 15, for 15 seconds. I agree. And uh, is, is the coach in any way, or any one of us in any way, responsible for people joining us in that prayer? Uh, if I kneel down on the field, I mean, am I responsible for anyone else? Well, no, no you're not. Uh, and I think coach was put in a hard spot and did the best he could in those situations, right? Look, it's a free country. But I want to underscore, that's not what this case is actually about. Mm -hmm. What this case is about and what Coach Kennedy was actually uh, fired for was going to center the 50-yard line, putting himself on one knee and praying privately for 15 or 30 seconds. No one else is around. In fact, you can go to firstliberty.org and find the picture. The students are walking yeah. towards the stands. Uh, there's some people that are kind of cleaning up the field, but nobody else is bothered by the fact that this guy is down there like looking for his contact lens or tying his shoe. He's actually engaged in private prayer for 15 seconds, but yeah. that was it. Uh, that has become the grounds to terminate someone from their job, and it's wrong. It's amazing. I think about all the moms and dads in the, in the stands. I think about all the times my kids have played on the field and suffered an injury, significant, serious injuries. And I think about all the times that I would pray for them before games. I would pray for them after games. I would pray for them during games. I would pray for them if they were injured. And, and um, I can't even imagine the public display of that the impact of this case could affect the public display of a private act of prayer in the public square. I just, uh, I can't underscore more how big of a case this actually is because of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And look, I, I'd love to have Coach kind of weigh in on his thoughts on what that means for, for the, the, the city of Bremerton. But for mm -hmm. a guy who, who did everything wrong in Bremerton as a kid, and lived on the street homeless at the age of 11 and 12, uh, and then went off and served our country for 20 years in the United States military, 18 years in the Marine Corps, and then to come back and want to build teams like he did in the Marine Corps, uh, and then for, for him to reinvest in his community where he could have lived anywhere in the world, but came back to Bremerton to make that place a better place, uh, the way that they have thanked him now was to fire him for, um, from the job that he excelled at. 
for doing something that no one in the country ought to be terminated from their job for, which is a knee in silent prayer for 15 or 30 seconds. Coach, I, I don't know what that meant to you, but I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Right. And, you know, like I said, these people are my friends. We, I mean, almost a decade that I coached. And so the superintendent, the, the principal, uh, the coaches, the families, the whole entire community, we were tight and we really, I mean, we were family. So putting everybody into this spot is just, I, I can't even imagine what they are going through. And, you know, it, I, mm. I just blame it on the people that are representing Bremerton School District because I know where their hearts are in Bremerton and they, they, it's all about the kids and what's best for them. So losing me was, it was tough, but it was tough on my team. So I'm used to adversity. I'm used to being able to fight, but it really hit home. If I, I would have been the biggest uh, hypocrite in the world, if I would have said, oh, I'll go along with the school district just because I want to stay as a coach and because it became uncomfortable or it might cause me a little bit of pain. Well, this is what I ask these kids to do every Friday night. When the lights go on, I don't care how beat up they are. You keep fighting until there's nothing left on the clock. And that's where we are today is going to the Supreme Court. And I'm sitting there going, I'm going to make it until the end. It's caused me so much pain, especially for my family, everybody in Bremerton. So this needs to be put to bed. And hopefully we could just cross that goal line on Friday night. For sure. And you, Coach, you have a desire to coach again. Is that true? I, you know, I played out in my head. The Supreme Court says, you know, you have the right to pray after a football game. And they reinstate me as a coach. I am there. I will be on that football field. I promise you I will be the first person on that football field. Game or not, I'm going to be with my knee on there and thanking God for it. It's pretty remarkable now because because what, what what was the year when this started? 2015 is yeah, it was 2015 when it, it when it started. 2015 and here we are in 2022 and we have an opportunity before the Supreme Court. Super thankful for Jeremy for First Liberty. What a what an opportunity it is to to um, win this case on the merits, on the actual merits. We're eager to do that very thing and to make sure that not only does Coach Kennedy get back to that sideline and find his way to the 50-yard line after the game to take that knee that has become so very famous right now, but to protect not only him but every coach in the country that is under the Friday night lights and every teacher that walks through the schoolhouse gates and wants to make sure they don't have to shed their constitutional rights. And by extension, frankly, every employee in the country who who, uh, who, who doesn't want to leave their religion back home in a drawer when they go to work. That's something that the Founding Fathers said, nope, that, that's yours to keep, that's who you are. Bring it with you to work. The Constitution upholds that very right, and it should, uh, because that's a critical part of who we are as a country who values the free exercise of religion. And I really appreciate you know, what, sure yeah, yeah. First, what First Liberty is doing because they represent any faith. So this isn't just a, you know, Coach Kennedy, you know, who loves God moment. This is for everyone of every faith. I, I can't imagine mm -hmm. people of any faith losing their job because they exercised it. I mean, what if you had a cross on your car and I'm parking at the school district? I... I, I wear a cross. I, I can't even imagine how far this goes. So this has all been weird. It's all been just unbelievable to see what it's like here in America in 2022. And I'm still fighting for simple things like our freedom, freedom of religion and, you know, freedom of, uh, you know, freedom of speech. It comes down to the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. And I think about the other areas that are in this, a similar fight, right? And Jeremy, you've mentioned a number of times that you don't give up your rights when you cross the, you know, the threshold of a school. You don't give up your rights, regardless of your employment, to the free exercise of, and the private exercise of your faith. And I think this is an important moment in our history. Um, you know, we're seeing that same thing happen for different reasons in the military. We're seeing the claims that, um, that you you uh, lose the ability to make personal medical decisions without your job being in jeopardy. We're seeing it in the in many sectors 
of our of our society right now. Does that concern you as well? Look, when, when we lose our first freedom, which is religious freedom, it really undermines all the freedoms that flow from that. You know, that, that's why the Founding Fathers put it as the very first amendment in our Constitution, because it undergirds all the other freedoms that we possess. And, and if, uh, if you look down through history at other governments, the very first thing that totalitarian governments do is to get rid of any competitor. Uh, and that includes not just the physical competitors to their own throne, their literal throne, it also includes competitors to the philosophical or ideological uh, enemies that they may have. Uh, and that includes religion. Uh, and so you look through history, that's where we find a religion being wiped off of every kingdom that is taken over by force. Because if, you, uh, if you're gonna be a dictator or a totalitarian, you can't have anything that says there is a, a higher authority than you. Uh, and, and so we are unique in world history because of our national commitment to making sure that religion features prominently in the lives of every American if they so choose. Uh, and we welcome that religion into the public square. Uh, we've done that for our entire 200 plus year history now. And we're gonna continue to do it, I think, because in part of Coach Kennedy's case right here, to make sure that in the future, uh, the students that he taught that are now in careers, uh, wherever they may be found in the country, they're able to go to their job and not fear being terminated from it because they happen to have a religious item on their desk or they, they meet with a group for prayer during the lunch hour, or perhaps they wear religious paraphernalia like a necklace or a hijab or yarmulke or something like that. That's the country's commitment. That's the freedom that we have. That's the freedom that undergirds all the freedoms that we possess. And if we lose that, we lose freedom itself. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I wrote down a couple things that you said, um, and I'll paraphrase this, right? But the beauty of America is that our rights come from God, not government. And the beauty of the Declaration of Independence, the beauty of the Constitution, the beauty of the Bill of Rights is that it is spelled out that we all have these rights from God and they can't be taken away and that the job of government is actually to secure those rights, those freedoms. It's a bit troubling, and I think this is why this matters so much to me, to watch government not secure rights, but go after and attack rights, to go after to remove rights. And I think that's why this matters, this whole cancel culture idea that you can be canceled because you don't have the right ideas. You can be canceled because you don't have the right belief system or maybe you have a different ideology. That is very concerning to me and I think that's why this case matters to me the most because when you win, when, when coach is exonerated for sure, uh, it's gonna reestablish, it has to reestablish this idea that there are rights that come from God and that government's job is to secure those rights. Yeah, look, and there's guys like Joe Kennedy that spend two decades or more in the United States military to secure those rights from for enemies, foreign and domestic. And I'm so glad that he did. And now that uh, he's done that and simply wanted the opportunity to exercise those himself in a private practice of 15 seconds on a knee uh, to deny him those freedoms is adding insult to injury uh, that we will give it to everybody else, but we'll deny it to the guy who actually fought for our freedoms. It is amazing. Joe, you know, I know that your service in the military was really important to you and it was, it was, uh, it shaped you, it helped shape who you are. And obviously you're, you're in an environment where you're there to sacrifice, to, you know, to lay down some of your, uh, your comfort and the ease, the ease of life back in the States so that we secure these freedoms. It, it, I think that's a bit ironic, right? As Jeremy said, you know, you come back you're sacrificing for these freedoms and then now you don't even get to enjoy them when you're back as a coach. It just seems ironic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's boggled my mind for years. And I always said that when somebody said, are you you're going to pray? And I'm, of course, I'm going to pray every single time without fail. You know, the score we, we just lost is, you know, zero to 60. And it wasn't a big thing. It was me just exercising my rights. So that was part of the fight that really bothered me is the Marine really wanted to fight. The, the Christian side of me, love others, forgive everybody else. But that's where we are at right now, that if you don't stand up for your rights, who's going to do it? And I was called to be a fighter and I was shaped my whole life to fight. And I just think they picked the fight with the wrong guy. Yeah, and we're super thankful 
for First Liberty Institute, who you know, is on the front lines taking cases like this, defending it all the way to the Supreme Court because they do have broader implications for the rest of us who, you know, may be affected in a different way. Jeremy, to help us understand what we can do to, you know, to support this particular cause and to, you know, if, if things are happening uh, in our private lives, you know, what do we do? What do we do about it? Do we, do we just get fired and then walk away? What happens? What do we do? You know, number one, go to firstliberty.org, and I want you to do a couple things there. Number one, there's a way to send Coach an encouraging message and to stand beside him during this time at the Supreme Court. Send him a note. I, I know he, he looks at a lot of those, or maybe all of them, and is really appreciative of those who take the time to not only pray for him, but to mention that they're doing that very thing. So go send Coach a good encouraging note. Uh, sign up for our, our e-newsletter. That way you stay in touch about the latest in Coach's case, as well as many others. You can do all of that at firstliberty.org. You can also learn about what your rights are. Uh, maybe you don't know, or maybe you know you, you got a kid going back to school and uh, they don't know what their rights are when it comes to the school clubs because they probably haven't done them in a couple of years with this pandemic on and, and they haven't been able to really engage their faith at school. Uh, look, we've got some uh, real easy pieces of paper you can print out and put in your trapper keeper to so you know what your rights actually are. You're very kind, Jimmy, to say good things about First Liberty Institute and we're proud of the work that we do. But let me tell you, I, I am far more proud of people like Joe Kennedy and mm -hmm. all of my other clients. Uh, we lose 100% of the cases we never bring. Uh, you know, and, and it takes people like yeah. Joe Kennedy who could very easily have said, okay, fine, I'll go to the press box. I'll go across the field and up the, up the stairs and across the practice field into the hallway and, and find the janitor's closet to pray in. He could have given up and you know what? Nobody would have blamed him for one second. And no yeah. one would have even remembered that he had done so. But that's how democracy, that's how freedom dies is when we give up that one little freedom because you know what, it's really not that important. No, it's vitally important. And so when Coach Kennedy says, I'm gonna volunteer to stand up for this freedom, not because it's important to Joe Kennedy, though it is, but because it's important to that kid down the street or across the way, or you know who I'm talking about right now that has their own freedom that's going to be questioned. Because Joe Kennedy has stood up and many others like him, we are a better country. We are a more free country today than if he had just simply said, okay, fine, I'll go in the press box and pray up there instead. Uh, that's how our freedoms are eroded. They're not eroded in one big flood. They're eroded by one simple choice to say, you know what, I, I, it, I don't want seven years of litigation. I don't want to have to you know, uh, find attorneys and maybe pay a million dollars to go to the Supreme Court, which is what this would cost if he had to ever pay for it, by the way. Uh, wow. uh, we, we do our work for free, so he doesn't. But look, the, the, the reality is that it, no one should have to make that choice. And if they had, you know, no one would blame them. We understand that. But because people like Joe stand up when they could be doing a lot of better things than, you know, talking to me or you or anybody else, frankly, uh, that's why we have such a robust freedom in this country. The last thing I'll say, you asked how you, uh, people can help out. Look, I mentioned it a moment ago, uh, this is an expensive endeavor. It takes about a million dollars to take a case to the Supreme Court over the course of its lifetime. Uh, we do all the work for free. Coach never has to pay for any of this, and no one Thank should. God. If you've had your civil rights violated, you shouldn't have to pay an attorney to get them back. Uh, and thankfully, we were able to do that because of very generous people across the country have given you know, tens and twenties and forties and fifties and thousands of dollars to make sure that Coach has the best representation possible. I love it. And, you know, we support what you do. And that's one of the reasons why I've been super thankful to have both of you on today, because we do support what you're doing. We understand the cost of it. And, and you said it best, Jeremy, you know, just that you the people that we admire most are the ones that operate with moral courage. You know, freedom dies apart from individual people willing to stand up, willing to sacrifice and willing to do what's necessary to protect freedom, not only for themselves, but for generations to come. I mean, that is what is at stake here. And so to have people ready to take the cases, to have people standing up uh, because of injustices that have, that have happened, we're seeing it happen over and over and over again today. People standing up uh, with moral conviction, with courage to protect freedoms, not only for themselves, but for generations to come. So both of you, Jeremy, Coach Kennedy, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. We're going to get the word out and hopefully you'll have tons more support coming your way. Yeah, thank Jimmy, you. I just want to say thank you so much, man. You know, I'm just a high school football coach. So, you know, from Bremerton, <laughs> Washington, nobody's even heard of that place. And if it wasn't for guys like you actually getting that message out, I'd just be 
that little guy that got squashed. So I really appreciate you, brother. Uh, same. And I will tell you this. Um, you know, I faced that moment where I where I woke up one day many, many months ago and said, you know, that I'm not going to be the person that wakes up 15 years from now and has to explain to my kids and my kids' kids why I did nothing while freedom was being infringed, while it was being eroded all around us. And that is what motivates it. That's what motivates me to get this story out and to get other stories out like yours across the country. So, hey, I, you know, if I can do my small part in this, I, I'm happy to do it and thankful for both of you. That's awesome. Thanks, Thank brother. You.